0: Welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our author events at
1: www.skylightbooks.com. At our website, you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. And don't be afraid to follow us on Twitter or even be our friend
0: at facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Um, At this time, we're very happy to have Neil back for his book, Stretch, The Unlikely Making of a Yoga Dude. He's always a lot of fun. I'm sure you know. Welcome, Neil Pollack. Hi,
1: everyone. Thanks for coming. Um, A lot of you were around while I was, quote, unquote, researching this thing, and um, many of you... uh, gave me very tangible uh, physical assists as well as mental assists. Um, And um, I thank you for that and for those of you who uh, weren't around, um, welcome anyway. (laughs) So uh, this is Stretch, The Unlikely Making of a Yoga Dude. It is a memoir about my Wacky Adventures in American Yoga Culture, and I hope you enjoy the reading, and if you pick up the book, I hope you enjoy it as well. I'm going to read the introduction to the book first. Early one Monday afternoon in the fall of 2009, I balanced on my right foot in a yoga studio in the San Fernando Valley. I leaned my body forward, just barely touching down my right fingertips, open toward the west wall and lifted my other arm and leg to the sky. This was Arta Chandrasana, half moon pose. I had to apply all my effort and concentration to get there, which wasn't easy because I was busy checking out the 40 other people in the room, none of whom I knew, and none of whom, I guessed, I would have liked if I had. They just looked so L.A. This wasn't my usual spot to practice, but I'd found myself in the neighborhood with a free hour and a yoga mat in the trunk of my car, and the five dollar, quote, lunchtime flow class fit my tight budget. <laughs> I executed a technically sound Warrior Three, leaning forward on one foot while shooting my arms toward the front of the room in a vague imitation of Superman. Then I reached back, grabbed my outstretched foot with one hand, arched my chest, and extended upward. This was called bow or dancer pose. It really technically isn't called bow pose. I don't even know what it's called. Dancer pose, let's say. And again, I could get there if I tried. This involved activating my bandhas, focusing on my breath, ignoring the crappy Eric Clapton song that was playing, and realizing that the rooting down of my leg and the rising of my arm was all part of the same system, the magical alchemy of opposites that when properly applied, helps me to understand the mysteries of the universe while sweating like a hog in the tropics. <laughs> Below, my natural rubber mat had begun to feel a little squishy. Though I wore a silky sleeveless tank top and comfortable stretchy shorts, it didn't prevent the sweat from flowing off me until I felt like poop, um, like Paul Newman in Cool Hand Luke after he'd spent that night in the box. My Dodger blue sweat absorbent mat cover with a grippy bottom and soft slip resistant top a much-loved birthday present from my wife didn't really help given the extreme volume of my shvitz. <laughs> the bright orange circular drishti at the top of the mat cover had nearly vanished because I'd washed it so often, it no longer provided a reliable gazing point. I patted my neck, forehead, and armpits with my Manduka brand hand towel which I'd received in a swag bag of freebies at a recent yoga festival and crouched into child's pose. The instructor, who looked frighteningly like Jennifer Aniston, cleared her throat, ready to deliver some wisdom. I snorted some salty water up my nose and raised my head. So did everyone have an awesome Halloween weekend, she asked. (laughs) Seriously, I thought, and then answered to myself, no, (laughs) not really. I took my kid trick-or-treating, ate a couple of peanut butter cups, and went to bed early like I do every night because I can't afford a goddamn babysitter. (laughs) The teachers weekend on the other hand had been quite awesome. A bunch of people had come over for a dinner party and everyone was so good looking and smart and they made her feel really nice about herself because they were such amazing friends. (laughs) Now I officially hated her. If you take a five dollar class you get a five dollar teacher. So just remember guys to be grateful for everything you have she said And after we do some more poses, I'll tell you about my costume. How did I arrive at this ridiculous place? Five years previous, when my exercise routine had deteriorated to a half hour on the elliptical, followed by two or three beers, it was inconceivable. The men I knew didn't do yoga. We watched basketball and drank beer, played video games and guitar, or at least video games about playing guitar quoted lines from cartoons, got stoned continually, and held all-night poker tournaments. Yes, I read books, and my Netflix queue was full of foreign films, but that just put me on the more intellectual edge of the dude nation spectrum. Yoga didn't occur to me, ever. Why would it have? EA Sports, which comprised most of my interaction with matters athletic, had never put out a yoga game. But now, yoga had become my major hobby, my only non-work activity that didn't involve high-grade medical marijuana or baseball statistics. If I went more than 24 hours without yoga, my hips started to hurt. I sat in half-lotus while watching Sunday night football. Instead of eating hoagies, my previous life's noontime activity, I took lunchtime flow classes in the valley. After 15 minutes of side planks, high lunges, crescents, twisted triangles, and bent forward half-lotuses, all of which left my skin as slick as a Sunday bookie, the instructor delivered on her promise. On Halloween, I dressed like Alice in Wonderland, she said. I admit, the thought of this loathsome woman wearing a powder blue pinafore caused a little stirring in my loins. Thanks to my extremely sophisticated yoga training, I was able to observe this sensation and let it go. (laughs) She continued. And a bunch of friends and I went to West Hollywood for the Halloween parade. It was a totally great scene. Everyone was really drunk. Some guy actually came over and looked at my dress. Isn't that offensive? The other students in the class, a predictable mix of Sherman Oaks, housewives, and gay men, expressed shock in the form of gasps and tongue clucking. They were obviously regulars. Snap, 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 went their metaphorical fingers. How does that go? Can anyone do that? All right, I got it. It's a certain kind of asana, I guess. There were like so many people in Lady Gaga costumes, the teacher said. Oh my god, exclaimed the guy next to me. I love Lady Gaga. (laughs) Excuse me, I thought. Aren't we supposed to be doing yoga here? I'm not sure about her, said the teacher. I think she's kind of a slut. She is not a slut, said the fanboy. The room began to cluck. Everyone had an opinion. Stop it, people, I thought. This is exactly what Lady Gaga wants you to be talking about. Don't you see that you're falling into her trap? But they didn't see, and I couldn't make them. I could only control myself and my reactions to their unbelievably stupid conversation. So I took a small sip of water, pushed back into Downward Dog, and waited for the room to quiet down. Yoga, after all, is the art of self-mastery, of stilling the minds, not to mention the mouths, endless yammering, of the search for a peace beyond thoughts and words. The world was full of morons, and many of them did yoga from time to time.
0: <laughs>
1: thank, you, thank you, dear. But that wouldn't stop me from practicing. Nothing would. Anymore. All right so that's the uh the opening scene the opening bit oh thank you you're too kind you're too kind' you're too kind um, so I started doing yoga because the New York Times called me fat <laughs> uh, i I'd, uh, I'd written um I'd written a book called Nevermind the Pollocks, which is a fictitious history of rock and roll um, with uh, a eponymous narrator named Neil Pollock, who had nothing to do um, with me, but I, I, I named him after me because um, I had, I, don't know, I guess I had an out of control ego. and. Um, <laughs> and and the, a guy who wrote the review for the New York Times decided uh, to, that it, he, he took it upon himself to, to um, slap me down and uh, didn't like the book, which is fine, but in, in, the re- in the review he called me um, a uh, just another, what was it? Hang on. Um, I don't know, he basically, oh yeah. He, an ordinary humor dork, yet another doughy 35-ish white man with a goatee <laughs> and thinning hair. So when the paper of record calls you doughy, <laughs> it's 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 time to make a change um so i, I had a um i had a uh, a sort of an a, a epic meltdown at home um in, in front of my wife because she was the only other person in the room and um and you know she she was very sympathetic to my my blubbering and uh, and she kindly put her hand on my back and said you should do yoga with me. So, I, uh, I thank her for that. Um, they, they were offering yoga classes as part of our membership at the uh, Lance Armstrong 24-Hour Fitness. We were living in Austin, Texas at the time, and our 24-Hour Fitness, where we had a membership, had uh, recently uh, been transformed into a shrine to Lance Armstrong, who is, you know how they have the Magic Johnson 24-Hour Fitnesses here? Um, I, I, I guess I guess you have to be a famous athlete a with a, uh, with a life-threatening illness in order to get a 24-hour fitness named after you. And they they had, you know, it was like a, sh- it was, it was all, it was all, like, a disgusting, live strong yellow, everything was, everything got really garish and neon, and they had, they had everything in, under glass, these spokes and <laughs> jerseys, everything except for his testicular x-rays, I think. And they, um, I know that's really tasteless, but, um, it was annoying, and, uh, but that's, uh, that's where I started doing yoga, at the Lance Armstrong 24-hour fitness, and, um, and this is a description of the first yoga class I ever took. Our first teacher was a placid-looking woman named Amy, our age or a little younger. She had a kind, pretty face, broad hips, mildly glowing skin, and an easy demeanor. Sitting cross-legged at the front of the room, she put her hands on her knees and spoke calmly and gently. Close your eyes, she said. Focus on, yes, focus on your breath. Feel it flow in and out of your lungs. Sit up nice and tall. Feel your spine straighten from the base of your tailbone to the crown of your head. Whatever happened before you came into this room doesn't matter, and whatever happens after doesn't matter either. There's only the here and now. Fair enough, I thought. Lord knows I had plenty of random, useless thoughts and emotions to deposit at the anxiety bank. I didn't mind clearing my mind. If I'd uh, had another chance to go back, I would have probably edited that sentence since the word mind appears twice in it. But, you know, they only had a team of copy editors working on this book. There's no no way they could have possibly caught that. (laughs) But I lacked training, and Amy's words couldn't stop me from twitchily looking around the room like a guy at his first AA meeting. Either I was the only man in Texas who had a free hour at 10 a.m. on a Wednesday, or guys just didn't do yoga. Everyone else in the room was female. As I sat there in my coffee-stained white t-shirt and my paint-spattered cotton shorts with the native Guatemalan pattern embroidered across the hem, I felt self-conscious, hairy, and overly large. An ogre, invited to a debutante ball. The class followed the pattern of most beginning yoga classes. Some stretching, some poses, a couple of light backbends, deep relaxation, and a short meditation. At the time, though, it tasted to me as exotic as a jackfruit milkshake. We pushed back into our first downward dog. It felt like I had bricks in my calves. My flabby hamstrings moaned and my near arthritic shoulders shuddered. Later as I creakily rose into my first Warrior one, my spine crackled like a thick estuarial branch falling off an old tree. My front knee popped unpleasantly. As the practice continued, my body insulted me in many different ways. I couldn't touch my toes. Bending forward over my knees, I caught the faint and unpleasant whiff of my own ass. I hopped and wobbled and stumbled with all the grace of a wounded animal charging through the brush. Amy wasn't a master, at least not in the gut-straining, semi-didactic way of some of the big city mega-yogis I've encountered since. But I didn't need a master. I needed someone kind and competent who wouldn't kill me. She explained the simplest poses in very clear language, keeping the pace slow and gentle. She was the perfect teacher for beginners. I was kind of enjoying myself. I'd expected poses with flouncy names like Laughing Daisy or Bejeweled Vagina or the infamous Happy Baby that I'd heard about. Instead, I got masculine ones like Warrior and Cobra, household objects such as chair and plank. Although, do do any of us really have a plank in our house? (laughs) Maybe maybe in uh, the 1880s, that was a household object. Gonna go sit on the, go sit on the plank after dinner. <sighs> and a variety of ordinary sounding shapes and animals. Nothing made me blush or shrink into myself with embarrassment. When I finished, I felt worked out but not worn out, sweaty but not disgusting, and much, much calmer. Regina felt the same way. We wanted to do the yoga again. Our setup at Lance Armstrong 24-Hour Fitness didn't match any form of the yogic ideal. We practiced above the basketball court and next to the spinning center, so we often had to compete with full-volume music screaming, Do you believe in life after love, after love, after love, after love? (laughs) This message could technically be interpreted as yoga relevant but not on repeat for 50, for 50 minutes. The space also contained the cleaning supplies closet, which led to some awkward walkthroughs by the janitorial staff. <laughs> because of some obscure gym policy, our teacher wasn't allowed to turn off the lights during Shavasana, which kind of defeated the point, since it's hard to transcend your earthly form while baking under a toxically illumined blanket of industrial strength fluorescent gym lighting. But Regina and I, Lying on our 24-hour fitness mats were at the nascent of our yoga lives, and we didn't really care. Amy taught twice a week in the mornings, and there were rarely more than a dozen people in the room. After a few weeks, Regina and I had gained enough confidence to try a supplemental evening class run by a guy who one friend called the Gay Drill Sergeant, which wasn't really fair, since the fact that he was gay had no bearing on the inherent brutality of his class. <laughs> We'd unwittingly stepped into a den of power yoga and we weren't ready. We found ourselves trapped in a high-octane exercise nightmare, flailing and flopping in a sweaty panic, (laughs) lost in a senseless flow of arm balances and leg lifts. The gay drill sergeant's class was popular, like 40 people popular, so he didn't have time to ride to our aid. 15 minutes into our first session, Regina looked at me, her eyes straining and desperate. She rasped, "What?" is alligator pose? <laughs> That's a good question, actually. Does, it, does anyone know? A, anyone familiar with alligator pose? Yeah. You, you know that. You know, or other, you'd also know it's croc. Would, would you like to see it? Yeah, yeah.
0: Please.
1: I can do the alligator pose. I've got to take off my shoes, though. No, it's okay. Just my shoes. <laughs> I mean, the rest of it's not so bad, but...
0: <laughs> so, basically...
1: The alligator pose is um,
0: is part of the uh, I,
1: I learned it as part of the intermediate series of Ashtanga Yoga or the second series of Ashtanga Yoga, and basically what you're doing is getting down on the ground, arms in a, what they call Chaturanga Dandasana, um, otherwise known as um, this
0: pose sucks, the and, uh, and, and then
1: with alligator pose you you, you basically trust
0: yourself forward, I guess, like an alligator does, like this. And,
1: and then you do that every day for the rest of your life until uh, until you die. And believe me, one day you will. I guarantee it. So, uh, no, no, no applause. After, thank you. I'm glad. <laughs> I know I did a good job when my uh, when my teachers are sitting there saying, nice, Neil. I'm like, all right, I just have to maintain my humble attitude. And then I'm doing yoga. And also, I have to try to do it without um, running out of breath. Um, would you all like to hear some more from the book? Yeah. I, think, I think you would. Uh, so I moved to Los Angeles against my better judgment so I could live a life of um, deprivation. And desperation, and uh, which I've done um, and as part of moving to Los Angeles, as you all know, you have to sign up when you move here at, for a, a ten class yoga pla uh, a ten class pass the DMV for a, like a neighborhood yoga studio of your choice so um, I did that, and I gradually um, deepened my practice and I had many adventures and um, I'm going to catch my breath from that alligator pose. Hang on a second. Wait, wait. Deep Ujjay. Hang on.
0: All right. <laughs> it's
1: all it takes. It's just one. I, I breathed up from my Mula Banda. It's an unlimited source of fresh energy. All right, so um, I uh. I got an email from a friend of mine who's a more successful magazine writer than I and she'd received an assignment letter from Yoga Journal um, about uh, the uh, rise of live music in yoga classes and she, she wrote me with the attached uh, note saying, do not want. So <laughs> she was too busy for it but I was desperate for money and I took the gig. So I started writing for Yoga Journal um, on a whim, basically, or, or out of desperation. Which is really kind of the same thing when you're a writer, and um, <laughs> but because I, I was writing for Yoga Journal, now I got to uh, attend Yoga Journal-sponsored events for free. So I, um, I, got on the press list for a Yoga Journal conference in San Francisco, um, and uh, this is. The, I, have any of you ever, ever been to one of these Yoga Journal conferences? Basically. Um, basically it 's um, a place where the big name yoga teachers can go so they can be worshipped by their acolytes um, for just a thousand bucks uh, a weekend and uh, and you know so they get paid well and you, you can you can run across some good teachers and uh, and it 's held at uh, the the hyatt downtown um, a um, a hotel that was essentially built to keep the hippies out. So they're like the, the least yogic-looking building on earth. It's all just like narrow slat windows and just gray concrete. hideously ugly. Um, so I, uh, as part of the the conference, I signed up for a. Um, you had these regular classes over the weekend. that lasted an hour or two. But then on Thursday before that, you had these. Day, you had you get to choose your day-long intensive. So you get to study for eight hours with. Um, with one set of teachers and I chose to take a course called The Yogi as Radical Cultural Hero. Um, By that time I knew I was writing this book so I chose it because I thought it sounded funny. I'll I'll admit it, nobody wanted to read a chapter about me taking an eight-hour class on how to take care of my back. (laughs) It just doesn't have the same potential so um, I took a class called the yogi is radical cultural hero with uh, David life and Sharon Gannon who are were the founders of are the founders of jiva Mukti yoga Uh, it's a style of yoga in uh, New York City that uh, started in New York City that is um, very physically intense and uh, very very and basically, before the classes, the teachers have to give these 15-minute Dharma talks, um, and uh, usually about, uh, usually involving uh, veganism. The, uh, the, uh, the sharon Gannon is a very radical vegan and encourages all her students to be the same. So anyway, so this is, and so this is the class I took. The Yogi is Radical Cultural Hero. That's just the context, and I'll read the scene now. My yoga intensive took place in a medium-sized conference room partitioned by sliding walls in the Hyatt sub-basement. Someone had gotten up very early that morning to carefully apply blue masking tape to the carpet, creating neat evenly measured rows of rectangular spaces, each large enough for a yoga mat and some miscellaneous props. The room had low, cheap-looking ceiling tiles and ample fluorescent lighting overhead. I couldn't uh, decide if I was about to do yoga or listen to a bunch of boring speeches from drug company sales reps. I chose my rectangle middle back on the right side, Too close up I might have appeared uh, like a kiss ass and too far back I might have seemed disinterested. This to me made for a suitably skeptical distance. My top layers came off and there I sat under the conference room lights in my yoga shorts and tank top ready to absorb wisdom. David Life and Sharon Gannon, eyes serenely closed, hands in Anjali Mudra, meditated on pillows at the front of the room. He was rib-showing thin with sallow cheekbones, a ponytail, and black disc earrings, kind of like the yoga version of Iggy Pop. (laughs) She just looked happy, healthy, and attractive, for lack of a better celebrity comparison, let's say, Angelica Houston. As people trickled into the room, the gurus stood. With simple, kind grins, they moved from person to person with their palms together at their chests, bowing like Japanese business people in a boardroom. Only about 30 of us had arrived by that point, but they bowed at least a dozen times. Several young female assistants accompanied Life and Gannon in their bowing. Hotness shone through their weird gestures. (laughs) When that was all over, the assistants passed out two flyers. One was a press release for Gannon's new book, Yoga and Vegetarianism, The Diet of Enlightenment, which I ignored, uh, with her and Life's traveling teacher's schedule on the back. The other contained ads for more Jiva Mukti books as well as a list of 2009's Jiva Mukti Yoga Chants. Then life ordered us to the wall and told us to hold handstand for 20 breaths. I hadn't yet reached the point in my practice where this was possible, and still haven't, but I tried. Physical activation is spiritual activation, he told us. There should be a little discomfort because, in the face of discomfort, we transform ourselves, just like Martin Luther King Jr. had done. <laughs> I think I got his point, though I doubted that Dr. King thought up the Montgomery bus boycott while schwitzing all over himself during repeated attempts to flip into handstand. (laughs) We went back to our mats and sat in virasana, or hero pose. A hero's quest is to retrieve something that has been lost, Life said. You have the power in your voice to alter your physical surroundings. That's why all great heroes were also great public speakers. They started talking great, uplifting words and didn't waste their time complaining. Well, now I just felt guilty. (laughs) I spent 80% of my life complaining. Maybe these people were on to something. I thought about this as I sat cross-legged in the basement of the Hyatt Regency San Francisco, chanting Shanti, Shanti, Shanti over and over again. Now Gannon sat down at her harmonium and took control of the room. We have to see ourselves as cultural heroes, she said, dramatic entities. We have to transform ourselves from ordinary people to supermen and women. We have to work magic in order to enact transformation. Yoga is that state where you're not missing anything, she said. You are whole and complete. She asked us to refer to our chant sheet, began playing her harmonium and sang, this was familiar to me. My teacher sometimes chanted this at the end of our Ashtanga classes. Along with everyone else, I chanted back. Underneath that chant in bold letters were some words in English. I figured these were just there for translation purposes, but no, she chanted in the same voice and rhythm, May all beings everywhere be happy and free and may the thoughts, words, and actions of my own life contribute in some way to that happiness and to that freedom for all... <laughs> Now, this was a fine sentiment, but chanting it call and response felt one step away from putting on the purple sneakers and asking the aliens to come and get me. In general, English, a fine language for profanity, political speeches, and broadcasting baseball games, is a poor choice, is a poor translation choice for profound lyrical sentiments from ancient texts. To wit, the subtle humiliations of Shul which I attend or used to attend in the reform tradition because the services are pretty short. When I chant Hebrew prayers, I feel like I'm tapping into an ancient culture of devotion, bonded through ritual to multiple generations of long-forgotten ancestors. When I try the prayers in English, it sounds like I'm reading promotional copy for Yahweh Inc. <laughs> the same applies to Sanskrit, which says beautifully in three or four words that which requires seemingly endless blather in my native tongue. So when Ganon chanted Shtirah, Sunam, Asanam, I chanted back. But when she chanted, the connection to the earth should be steady and joyful, our relationships with all beings and things should be mutually beneficial if we ourselves desire happiness and liberation from suffering. No true or lasting happiness can come from causing unhappiness to others. My mind wandered. No one else in the room seemed to care, though. The canvas and plastic walls vibrated with their joined voices while I sat on my mat, silently complaining. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Yoga, yoga. Well, at a certain point, actually at that conference, I, um, I met a teacher who I—I uh, I had teachers who I liked, but I met a sort of famous teacher who I actually liked. Um, his uh, his name was Richard Freeman, and he's a, a um, very uh, well regarded um, Ashtanga yoga teacher. And um, I I followed him to Asia, as one is wont to do with teachers um, who go to Asia. Uh, he was offering a two week uh, retreat at uh, a place called Yoga Thailand. It's basically an Ashtanga yoga resort. Those of you who've practiced Ashtanga yoga know that the words Ashtanga yoga and resort don't really go together because Ashtanga yoga is all about denying yourself anything that's enjoyable. but i stayed fortunately i stayed at a different hotel and just took the classes so, you know, It was a, a very fun hotel called the easy time resort and was run by these two um these two uh, sicilian brothers who um enjoyed pizza and hash very much and those are two of my favorite things as well so we we had a, we had a good time after the yoga was over uh, in any case uh, um R- richard uh richard had a lot to teach me <laughs> about yoga and i thought i would read a section from that um uh, ex- a chapter in the book before we get t- to um, the interactive portion of the evening, if that's okay. Is that okay? Yes. Okay. We were having trouble getting into a certain pose. Richard told us to practice by squatting, quote, like a king, not a peasant. <laughs> he said, when I first started doing yoga, I was very stiff and all my poses looked the same. Then I went to India and I got hepatitis A and amoebic dysentery. I spent two weeks, and then he squatted in this position. When I finally stood up, I'd lost a lot of weight. But also because I'd been squatting, all the poses were easier for me. Those of us in the West, he said, suffer from, quote, the curse of the chair. Well, I certainly experienced the curse of the chair. Compared with many of my fellow practitioners with their nice yoga bodies and their 5.30 a.m. meditation practices by the pool, I felt like an aging water buffalo, incapable of doing much. My back had begun to hurt again from where I'd pulled it, doing Bikram. There's a scene earlier. and There's a lot of scenes where I hurt myself in the book. <laughs> by day four of our brutal asana practice, basically we would do um, Yoga for physical yoga for three hours in the morning starting at 7 a.m. in this intense tropical heat. It was awesome. By day four of our brutal asana practice, I couldn't bend forward at all. Richard noticed this and he came over to inquire. I showed him the area. He nodded knowingly, raised one eyebrow, and said, Take your time. It was the best advice a yoga teacher had ever given to me, though maybe not that surprising coming from a guy who earlier that day had described yoga as, quote, Kung Fu for hermits. (laughs) I did indeed take my time and didn't push myself too hard. As a result, the practice was perfect and transcendent. Blessed are the stiff, Richard said to us all. The flexible are cursed. People are very disappointed when they get their chin to their shin. It's still all breath and the spaces in between. There's nothing else. Afterward, I walked around on a cloud of bliss. My brain appeared to be functioning differently. While taking a whiz at the urinal, I gazed at an ant crawling up the wall, my mouth agape with total wonder that such a creature like this could exist. I found myself staring at a palm tree and uttering an involuntary, hmm, (laughs) of ecstatic curiosity. The sunlight glistening off someone's face seemed like a miracle. At breakfast, I closed my eyes and opened my ears to the multilingual chatter around me. It sounded like the world before the Tower of Babel collapsed, marvelous and unique. Walking down the road to a convenience store so I could buy some crappy factory-made cookies, I saw a dead cat on the side of the road. This made me a bit sad. It seemed like the creature had died unfairly and cruelly. A few days later, walking past the same spot, I saw a cat skeleton with just a little liquid schmutz around the body. The heat had made fast work of what had once been a cat. But rather than think, oh man, that's gross, I instead gazed at the corpse with fascination. All matter was constantly transforming, I thought, and that is the true nature of the universe. Mind you, I was sober at the moment. I had this thought. What was happening to my mind? It only got worse during the afternoon uh, yoga Sutra sessions. We would study yoga philosophy uh, after um, after drooling on ourselves for four hours in the middle of the day. The first twenty minutes were relentlessly hilarious because Richard had begun teaching us Sanskrit consonants and we chanted them along with the vowel sounds and So what he did is he had a, sh- a sheet of Sanskrit letters and we had to chant the uh, va- the yoga uh, not the yoga the Sanskrit vowels. Um, sort of like kindergartners would, and then gradually started adding on the consonants. So this led to a room full of adults singing without irony the following Pa, pa, pee, pee, poo, poo. Everybody. Pa, pa, pee, pee, poo, poo. It makes a lot more sense if you actually have the uh, Sanskrit uh, <laughs> alphabet in front of you. And I, and I study it every day. I convulsed, puffed out my cheeks, and did everything I could not to burst out laughing. Other than one mischievous Austrian guy named Helmut, who I'd been drinking with at the Easy Time Resort, no one seemed to join me. Perhaps they thought I was practicing some sort of complicated pranayama move. After that, out of Richard's mouth came an uninterrupted stream of learned wisdom. I can't really encompass the reality of what he said. I just sat there and wonder half the time and as such took bad notes, ignoring a lot of the important stuff and writing down u- useless crap like, using the mind, you create a scaffolding where free thought flows between the boundaries of the dialectic. It's true. But, but for the most part, I think I grasped his central message. Any yoga practice, he said, will eventually serve you up a, quote, plate of rocks. Life will become difficult, and you will suffer, and you have to stick with your practice through the crisis. We become over-attached to pleasant experience out of fear of suffering, he said, and that just creates more suffering, because the pleasant experiences, like all experiences, must eventually end. Facing impermanence, he said, is the hardest thing that a human being can do. We'd really rather not think about it at all. But once you start to feel and understand impermanence, you get a, quote, higher taste. You experience the unlimited delight of yoga. Nothing compares to the sense of freedom you get from accepting impermanence. It's difficult, yes, but the difficulty seems like nothing compared with what you get in return. That's when you want to teach, when you want to share. The ultimate challenge, he said, difficult for even the most advanced yogis, is to accept the fact that you're going to die, possibly soon, and to realize your own death as just another in a series of transformations illumined by the all-seeing light of pure awareness. Yoga, he said, is rehearsal for death. This chipper message (laughs) seemed to directly contradict the, quote, open your heart to the possibilities of the universe school of yoga chat, which so seemed to dominate discourse in my part of the world. I'd never bought into that, but what Richard said resonated very strongly with me, even though he'd promised us nothing other than disciplined attention to a new habit of mind. I was sitting at a table moving my steamed vegetables around with a fork as I thought about this. A nice woman from Singapore managed to get my attention. I was practicing behind you today, she said. What's wrong with your back? Oh, I pulled a muscle a few months ago, I said. No, she said, I meant all those red dots. Those are zits. What are zits? You know, pimples, acne. We need some sun and salt water, she said. I'll just keep my shirt on, I said. It will reduce suffering. Oh no, she said. It gives me a good gazing point. From then on, I practiced in the back row. All right. So, um, oh, there's there's my water. All right, this is the point in, in um, of any reading where I take questions from the audience, and I also, uh, because this is a yoga book, and, and even though um, asana is but one of the eight limbs of yoga, I've also been taking pose requests
0: <laughs> because you
1: know it's a good way to draw people into the practice. You know, when you, when you see what a what a. a uh, balding middle-aged man is capable of then you think like oh, I could I could do that soon enough so um, I, I will take any questions anyone has and also um, a few pose requests depending on the the difficulty of, of pose and um, my ability to do them uh, anybody any questions any comments sir so, the benefit the, the, bene- the benefit of I, I don't, I don't, yeah, it's basically a good party trick. I don't rightly know, other than that, it, it, it's just another thing that will make you so tired that you won't be able to think afterwards. And kind of sh- Basically, the whole idea with yoga is that you're trying to shut down your thoughts. And you're you're trying to achieve, a, as they as they say in the sutras, a clear, calm, and tranquil mind. And you know any exercise can do that, but yoga actually has a philosophical atti- uh, a system attached to it. Honestly, that pose can probably do more damage than it can good. You know, you'll bust up your wrists, break a toe, bash your head in the floor, and then you'll have to deal with the injury. And that's just uh, and since apparently yoga is all about suffering. <laughs> uh that's that's the benefit uh, the, the, of trying to deal with the fact that you can't do it anymore <laughs> I, I, that wasn't a very good answer <laughs> go ahead do you practice at home by yourself i do um you're to you finish the question um i practice a few days a week at home by myself because it's free and um, and then um, one, a couple times a month I'll go practice with a teacher who I've been studying with for a long time, just so I can, um, you know, pick up some pointers and uh, also see some other human beings, which is nice once in a while. Um, I, I took a, um, a class from a teacher who once who was a, a day-long intensive, and she said that really the best way to do it is to practice by yourself and then periodically go to a teacher you trust, either it, whether that's once a week or once once a quarter, if you're using the quarter system, um, <laughs> um, and uh, you know, and then you can you sort of take what you learn there, and then I can elevate your your self practice. Because at the end of the day, you know, it's, it really is a, a personal and private thing, which is why, of course, I've written a book about it, and I'm traveling around the country doing poses in bookstores. Yes. Question, more about your for dialogue is amazing. Oh. Thank you. Um, I a lot of the scenes in the book I actually were t- I was taking notes while they were going on. I wasn't I don't I don't, I don't it's generally although Richard Freeman my my the teacher who I described describing in the last scene. A lot of times people do tape his lectures. I just transcribe you know I have to transcribe n- uh, tapes for my journalism work anyway. So it's such a pain in the ass that I just try to take as detailed notes as possible. Uh, more as a journalist than a writer, I went to journalism school and I wrote for a newspaper for many years. And um, that, 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 I, if if I have a talent for dialogue, that's where it came from. Okay. Yes, ma'am. What was it particularly about yoga that made you want to write, like, what to write a book about that? Basically, I was telling. Um, Stories about my yoga practice and friends of mine thought it was so funny that I, in particular, was into yoga that um, that it that they said you should write a book since I've written books before I was guess I was capable of it so that, that, there was that and there was all so that was that was the that was when they started encouraging me then I put a proposal together and submitted it um, yeah. I'm not a journaler. No, no. I just kind of once once I got the book contract, I started taking notes, mostly at the major event, the major set pieces in the book, like the yoga thon. Um, not like I did the yoga thon in order to um, to take notes on it. I did it because I needed to raise money for the, my my son's charter school, and uh, and this was available, uh, or or the or these conferences I went to. Um, so I would, I would take detailed notes there, but I didn't keep a di- uh, like a d- dear uh, a dear diary. Today I had a profound yogic insight. I didn't. I don't. I I didn't keep that kind of a journal. No.
0: What's your favorite
1: pose? Uh, my favorite pose is headstand because I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I don't know, it also had to just, uh, I, I, so I remember actually the day I, I um, got into headstand for the first time, and it was still sort of my favorite day of my yoga practice, just because it was something i have been trying to do for a long time, and then one day my teacher, who was in this room, and I won't reveal to you which one she is, you'll have to guess, just let my legs go, and there I was in headstand, and I've been able to do it ever since. And since then I've been trying to pick up other tricks, like doing the, lifting my head off the floor, I'm lowering my legs to sort of half-mast. I'm trying to do this thing where I go into forearm stand from, you know, I try a bunch of different tricks, because a lot of the more advanced yoga poses, I can't do but I can do the headstand. And also, I just feel so good when I'm done with it. It's very relaxing and therapeutic. Would you all like to see it? Yeah. Yeah, I thought you might. Um, All right, so, basically, with the headstand, what you want to do is you want to create a, uh, some teachers have you uh, grab opposite elbows and then then turn your arms out and and clap your hand and that sort of creates a tripod. I actually try to draw my arms in just a little bit from that because you don't want you don't want your elbows out wide because that will um, change your center of gravity and make it much easier for you to fall
0: over. So you want to be as tight in as possible. I'm not going to take off my shirt. Sure. <laughs> Thank you. You are welcome. <laughs> uh, and, and so basically I'm creating like a little a little nest for, for my head with my hands. Although you want your head to be, you want as little pressure on your head as possible because otherwise you will scrunch your neck. So anyway, then I put the top of my head down in there. And I lift up um, my legs in a bit, into you can do the same form you do in downward facing dog. And I'll walk my legs in a little bit. And then at a certain point, lift from my hips, and then head on up. Get up, get on up as James Brown says. And then, and then you hang out here for a while, half an hour, forty five minutes. Or maybe ten breaths. <laughs> and then you know there's some variations you can, I'm not gonna I actually practiced earlier today so I'm kinda out of gas. But and I can't do my half mass thing because I have a straight hamstring. But you know, you can kinda hang out like this for a while. Head back to yeah. up and Try to lift your head off the floor. I guess I'm doing it right now. And then, when you realize that you're being watched by, the people <laughs> and then, want your head to you come up
1: last when you come out of it. Otherwise, you'll get very dizzy. So that's my headstand. <laughs> Got a, And then you know, one day I'll I will not be able to do that anymore, and I'll still have to do yoga. So um, that'll be that'll be an interesting moment. Um. Let's see, one day the only pose I'll be able to do is Shavasana. <laughs> yes? I thought about photos, you get
0: bodies
1: in the New York Times? My current author... F- I don't think that guy's going to want photos of me doing yoga. I can only imagine. I don't want to give, give him any more fuel. My, my current author photo is of me doing a headstand. I'm just, uh, I'm assuming it at any moment now. Someone will will refer to me as a yoga douche Uh, on the internet, but fortunately, because of my advanced yoga training, I'm able to deal with that kind of criticism. It's just another—it's just all matter in a constant state of transformation. It's all—it's just a—it's just a as they say in the Yoga Sutras. Just a little thing that's there to bother you. So I don't worry. I don't worry about that. Have I thought of teaching? I have. I've taught a few yoga classes. And I, and I did receive my uh, teaching certificate. I went and did my 200-hour certification with Richard uh, Freeman in Boulder this summer, um, abandoning my family for a month so I could become a yoga hippie. And they, they really appreciated that, I think. And um, so I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do with, with that. I, uh, I'm not quitting my day job. But uh, I may, you know, once the dust settles from this massive international best-selling yoga memoir, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I may, I may, if, if start offering a, a, occasional classes. there's
0: something for you at writers conferences. You the writers conf- offer classes.
1: Want to be my agent for that? Yeah, yoga classes at writers conferences. I think I think I can. I think I can definitely. I definitely know the um, the neurotic mindset of the writer who needs <laughs> yoga, so I could do that. Also, um, I think I could also be pretty good at teaching uh, comedy people, because they, they, they're a real real fucking mess. <laughs> um, and if I do, if I do teach, it's, if, at least it's at the start, it's gonna be, uh, there's this great studio called Shakti Box, which is just down the street from here, just actually about a block down. And, um, that's my favorite place to practice at the moment, and I may ask the, uh, the uh, owner to give me a class, and I'm sure I'll end up teaching at like three in the afternoon on a Tuesday, <laughs> and that'll, that'll be real popular. Yes. Has yoga
0: changed
1: your eating habits? I I think I eat a little less than I used to. <laughs> uh, I mean I'm not a, I I I would say that I'm 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 a little bit more moderate in in how I approach pretty much everything except for maybe marijuana, and um, which 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 even that I'm beginning to discover the joys of moderation with. Um, so I don't know I still eat meat um, with great enthusiasm um, and uh, although I know I shouldn't and um, I, but I do. I do drink a lot less than I did, um, because I feel bad when I drink a lot, especially the next day. So I don't know why I would have to do yoga to learn that. But so no, I, I don't. I, but I don't. In, in general, um, I, I don't know. I think I uh, the only the only real change is that I'm maybe like twenty percent more thoughtful about everything, but maybe twenty five. Um, but it's not, you know, I, I thank God that, you know, you hear about this transformation that you go through when you do yoga, and thank God, you know, I, I was worried I was gonna, you know, emerge some... Actually, I wouldn't have mind being, being a dreadlock hippie because I meant I would have regrown my hair. But um, I found that I was actually still the same person, just a slightly better version of the same person, maybe. So um, so that was kind of a relief that I didn't, tra- I didn't transport. Thank you, my, my wife and my, my sister. Yeah, i can provide a lot of evidence of past selves um <laughs> all right so any any more questions any more poses? yes yes how did you develop your practice at home like, did you have a book or, a video or did you the poses or- well i i she asked how i developed my practice at home well i um i for, i for many years have been practicing or many 3 or 4 years maybe even less than that have been practicing the ashtanga uh Vinyasa system, and they, they, that's a sort of a set series of poses that you do in the same order every day. And uh, there are lots and lots of books and videos to sort of um, show you which way to go. It helps to have a teacher to be able to, you know, give you adjustments and to tell you when you're doing something wrong. Um, but it's not you; you can do it on your own. So I have those series, and then also when I uh, when I screwed up my hamstring. Um, my uh, the teachers at my teacher training gave me sort of a therapeutic program. I, it, it doesn't, you know. It, I say this is. It was on a piece of paper. That's why I hold this up. Um, <laughs> um, so I so I've got that to turn to. I also have a, a Yin Yoga DVD that I do. Yin Yoga is uh, sort of a. slower more meditative form of yoga much 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 stretchier focusing largely on the liver and kidney meridians of the body and uh, so i'll do that i'll mix that in once in a while if i'm feeling kind of kind of stiff and lumpy um so you know it's just a variety of things that I've, i've picked up along the way um and then sometimes if i'm i'll just meditate for 15 minutes half an hour um if I don't have time or for anything else or if I don't feel like exercising. Which is often. Yes. Oh oh goodbye. Yes. Yes. Goodbye. Yes. Is your family into
0: yoga?
1: My fa is my family into yoga. I would say my family is in is, is, is into me doing yoga and that I'm much easier to live with because I do, but um no I mean you know, my wife uh, isn't practicing at the moment. I, I'm guessing she will start again at some point, although she's not going to study with me because um, she doesn't need me telling her how to do anything else. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and as for my son, he will occasionally, you know, because he's a, a public school child in Los Angeles, y- his yoga is of course part of his curriculum, mandatory <laughs> part of his and um, and uh, he he will occasionally do do yoga at school, but. Um, Mostly, he'll just use yoga as like a, as a cudgel or like a little a little incentive to try to get me to give him something. You know, if I'm, he'll say, "Daddy, would you would you show me how to do some yoga poses?" And it means he wants me to get him a, a game for the Wii. Um, <laughs> And then usually I will. <laughs> um, I sometimes will if he if he if he pays attention for long enough. So he, it's amazing what he can do though. He he has, his posture for meditation is very good, and he can do a, a, an excellent tortoise pose, a pose that is not accessible to me and probably never will be. So I don't know. I mean, I think yoga would be good for him, but. Nobody wants to do what their dad does.
0: You know Neil, something? I've tried to get the guys here at Skylight. Actually, I've said you guys gotta do yoga. Right? Because it's like, lap at me. because it's not cool. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's so for
1: cool. women and gay people, yeah. or, or <laughs> how you, yeah.
0: How do you get How do you get guys to uh, do there's yoga? A lot of guys that do
1: there are there are a lot of guys that do yoga. Do,
0: they, they do, but you know, I, I talk to these guys and like, yeah, right.
1: There's a certain kind of guy who's reluctant to do yoga—the guy who um, watches Adult Swim and, and and who believes, you know, and who worships Jonathan Franzen. Yeah, um, there are a lot of men who do yoga. I, I I don't know. I mean, people just have got to find their own way to it. I mean, you can't ever force anybody to do anything. You know, just uh, maybe one day they'll want they'll wander into a class with the right teacher and then they'll be hooked. I mean, what did you? You didn't. You haven't always done yoga, right? I mean, what did you think before you started?
0: Um, Well, I started because I felt like some of the other exercises I was doing was like crumbling my body or something. Mm -hmm. So, actually, decided Uh, to check out other studios. I
1: don't know. I mean, people find their own way into it. You know, maybe you should you should get them a copy of Stretch for their birthday. (laughs) And I think I think that will be the ultimate. That's the ultimate entree for the for the cynical um, um, American uh, bookish man. Yeah. I think that's my target audience, as well as the rest of you. Um, I do. Are you trying to hustle me off the stage? Is it time? Or uh,
0: it's about that time. Yeah.
1: Uh, I have one more little passage I want to read, and then we'll sign some books. Okay. Well, um, hey, thank you all for coming. It's it's really great to see you all, and uh, Namaste to those of you who are leaving. And um, and I, I really appreciate it. And it's been a lot of fun um, finally getting this book out and uh, reading it to people. So I hope you uh, pick it up, and I hope you enjoy it. Um, one last scene I'm going to read. It's, uh, it takes place at uh, a studio called Karuna Yoga, where many of you have pra- practiced uh, before its um, unfortunate demise earlier this year. Uh, it's where I, I studied, I, I took a lot of my early yoga classes there and um, learned a lot, and um, most of the time I, I practiced in the mornings because I didn't have a job. Uh, and, and still don't. So I still practice in the mornings. and uh, but but, there was this one teacher I wanted to study with at night who um who was supposed to be pretty good. So I, I tried to, you know ask my wife if I could go do a yoga class at night, but we had a kid to put to bed, and I, I couldn't often tell her I, I'm off to do yoga if I still wanted my my testicles attached to my body when I woke up the next morning. so um but but um one night, Regina took mercy on me, and I went to uh, went to Tanya's class. And here's what happened. Her alignments were precise and invigorating. I could feel my warrior, too, improving markedly under her watch. We held our poses for a long time, and it hurt. Your, if your teacher makes your quadriceps quiver, you're in good hands. Oh, how my yoga was evolving. My body and mind were changing, becoming something grander and higher. During the cool-down, Tanya told us to draw our knees by our ears. We grabbed our feet with our hands and rocked gently from side to side. This was happy baby pose. My body felt free and loose, totally relaxed in every way. A murmur emanated from my guts, and an airy whoosh moved through my intestines. (laughs) I then uncorked the sloppiest, wettest fart of my life. (laughs) A desperate five-second bleat of sweet relief. (laughs) The sound seemed to bounce around the walls of the studio, like a rubber ball thrown at maximum velocity. I followed this with a series of three little toots. (laughs) Duckling farts chasing after their mother. It was like the campfire scene in Blazing Saddles except that instead of cowboys, hot chicks and spandex surrounded me. And I was the only one farting. Oh yeah, Tanya said, that's it. My fart had been so strong that even my teacher felt relief. I quaked with humiliation and self-hatred. Oh my god, I said. I'm such a Jew. The class roared in appreciative laughter, which made me even more nervous. Really, what did Judaism have to do with farting? My comment could be explained away by self-loathing. But what was their excuse? Were all yogis secret anti-Semites? Regardless, from then on, whenever I went to Tanya's class, I couldn't contain my flatulence. I ripped and hissed and tooted. There were silent deadlies and noisy, odorless farts. I farted while standing, sitting, and lying down. The sorrowful people next to me tried to stare stoically ahead and focus on their practice, but I knew they were thinking, who is this hairy, ass-blowing heeb next to me? And how can I prevent him from ever coming to class again? It got bad enough that I began to develop a theory of yoga farting, and even a strategy. Though the noisy farts smelled the least, they also provided the most distraction to the other students. If I felt a loud one moving toward my anus, I tightened my perennial muscles and willed it away. This is known, in yoga, as the mula bandha, or pelvic lock. Did the first yogis introduce it as a fart retainer? I suppose people did fart 3,000 years ago. Possibly, I thought. My theory of yoga farting had ancient roots. If I absolutely had to, yes, it it keeps going. (laughs) If I absolutely had to cut loose, I tried to let it out slowly and subtly with a nice hiss. That didn't always work though, and little plopping sounds would emerge. These worked best in moments of transition from sitting to standing or vice versa, or when our teacher had us move our mats to the wall. If at all possible, I liked for my farts to get lost in a wave of sound. Therefore, the best time to fart, if I absolutely had to, was during the part of the class where we said om. As a beautiful chorus of human voices, including mine, harmonized as one, my colon expanded and contracted, discharging useless gases. I sent them out to the cosmos as an extra blessing, a karmic bonus. Then I realized the farts were mostly preventable. One night before Tanya's class, I sat down for dinner with my family. As I ate, I looked at my plate. I devoured half a chicken, a huge helping of mashed potatoes with buttermilk, and a hefty serving of broccoli. No wonder I was farting during yoga class. That night I had to deploy my usual strategies, but before Tanya's class the following week I just ate a couple of carrots to settle my stomach. I did the entire practice without even the mildest gastrointestinal disturbance. My body felt free and loose. It twisted and rose and fell with great ease, free of worrying about my farts. My mind could think about higher things, like what I was going to eat for dinner after class. All right, that's Stretch. Thank you all for coming. Namaste. Good night.
0: You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com.
1: Today's music was provided by Ashley and Arlo. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, or at the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.